back in Thessalonians today. This really is the end of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. I was going to skip it, uh, but I just couldn't do it. Uh, there's three commands here and a blessing, and they're as important as anything that Paul wrote in this letter, so we're going to cover them. Uh, first, Paul urged them to pray for him. Brothers, pray for us. Uh, Paul had seen the risen Lord. He was an apostle, and yet he needed prayer to get things done. And so do I, and so do you. Uh, whether you feel that deeply or not, you do. You know, it's great to ask for prayer uh, for your aunt, your cousin, your neighbor, somebody else that has a problem that you've heard about, but you need prayer. The most lively prayer meetings I have ever experienced are when someone says, pray for me. I need courage. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to forgive someone. I need more joy. I want God to use my life. I need help or courage or boldness to speak to someone about Jesus. Pray for me. Asking for prayer demonstrates that you understand the depth of your neediness, the greatness of our struggle, and that God sends his help to us through prayer. You must understand both your insufficiency and God's total sufficiency that is available to you through prayer. If you know and believe and understand and feel, truly feel those things, you will pray. And you will ask people to pray for you. Paul believed prayer affected whether he had words to speak or not. He believed prayer affected whether he had boldness or not, whether his work was successful or not, whether he was delivered from people who wanted to kill him or not. And so he urged the brothers and sisters in the churches to pray for him. And this is not unique uh, at the Thessalonian church. In almost every letter that Paul writes, I'm sure probably in every letter, there's a time or two or more where he earnestly pled with the believers to pray for him. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, Brothers, pray for us. Pray that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For the gospel to succeed he needed their prayers. To stay alive, he needed their prayers. To be able to continue on as a minister, as a preacher of the gospel, he needed them to pray. And I see three main reasons in Scripture why Paul asked for prayer. First, he was in a fight, and he knew it. He knew that many people opposed and hated the message of Jesus. We're naive to not believe that, to not know that. Philippians 3.17, for many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul knew he had human enemies, spiritual enemies, but he also believed that he could be delivered from them through prayer, specifically through the prayers of the saints, the believers in the churches upholding him, fighting with him, standing with him in prayer. 1 Corinthians 1.10, 
In him, in God, we have placed our hope that he will yet again deliver us from the deadly peril of death as you help us by your prayers. Paul's hope was in God, but his, his confidence was that God would deliver him from death through their prayers. Romans 15.30, I beseech you, brothers, by the by our Lord Jesus Christ to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul knew he was in a fight, a deadly fight. So Paul said, strive together with me or join my struggle, fight with me in your prayers. We sing a song, when we, when we fight, we fight on our knees. That's how believers approach the battles of life. Prayer is our weapon. We fight with spiritual weapons. We don't fight with human or fleshly or or carnal weapons. We fight with with the weapon of prayer. Prayer is seeing things the way that they are or the way that they look like they're coming down or coming against us, and we we go to prayer. We push back against those things uh, through prayer. Prayer is uh, pushing back against the way things are. It's waging war against the status quo. It's waging war on the devil and his plans and people and enemies who hate God and hate God's laws. And prayer is the way that the kingdom of God went forward from the beginning and in the New Testament days. And it's the way that it will go forward today in spite of are very real present enemies. So Paul pleaded with, for prayer because he knew he was in a fight. And I hope, I hope you realize how badly we need to pray today. Uh, yeah, we're in a battle. We're in a real fight. Second, Paul urged believers to pray because he knew salvation and spiritual growth were not natural things. Uh, These things take the action of God, the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul knew that Satan had blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He he knew the work of shaping men and women into faithful followers of Jesus required a miracle in people's hearts. Uh, We taught on this two weeks ago. Paul, Paul knew he couldn't sanctify the believers at Thessalonica on his own. He knew the Thessalonians or the Thessalonians couldn't sanctify themselves. So what was his prayer? His prayer was, may God himself sanctify you completely. It's God who causes the growth. Paul said, we, yeah, we, we plant Apollos waters, but, but he recognized that it was God who causes the growth, and it took a work of God in people's lives to, to transform them, to get them to grow and, and to change. Colossians 1.9, Paul said, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and may please him in everything. Paul knew that it it took prayer. He he knew that it, it took asking God. It took the Lord himself to change people so that they would begin walking consistently in a manner of life that was worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. People 
do not just walk away from years spent in darkness and sin on their own. People don't just spontaneously uh, grow up uh, into mature godly people. It, it takes God. Uh, and God does His work mainly through the prayers of His people. And if we want great things to happen in people's lives here at Real Life Church, we need to be a praying church. If you want someone to escape the power of a sin, if you want someone to grow up and, and become mature, start praying for that brother or sister. They need prayer. It takes a work of God to mature us into people who are living for Jesus Christ and walking in a manner that is pleasing to Him. Pray. We need to be a praying church. Third, Paul wanted the church to pray because he knew prayer is needed to do anything well or effectively as a minister of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.19, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will boldly make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul needed prayer to, to operate at maximum efficiency. Uh, and for sure I do, and for sure you do too. Uh, he needed their prayers so he would have the words. He needed their prayers so he would have the boldness. He needed their prayers so he would have the clear thoughts to explain the gospel. Uh, he, he requested prayer. He urged the, the believers at, uh, in the letter to the Colossians to pretty much the same thing, Colossians 4.3. Devote yourselves to prayer and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Pray that I may declare it clearly as I should. Paul knew he needed prayer for open doors, for opportunities, uh, for the word to be successful, for him to be able to make it clear, for people to understand it. He needed prayer for all of that. If you want open doors, if you want to speak, to bless, to encourage, to help others, ask people to pray for you. You need the prayers of others to be effective in any kind of ministry at any level. I don't care if you're just giving a greeting to somebody or taking them a meal or going to serve them. You need the grace of God and the help of God to be able to do that well and to the glory of Christ. I've experienced this a lot in teaching. Uh, I've, t I've taught mornings uh, where the words flowed. It seemed like my mind was working. It seemed like I was being able to make my thoughts clear. And I felt, I felt the power in the presence uh, of the Lord. And it seemed like people were understanding and, and getting it and being, being helped. I've taught other mornings where, quite honestly, it just... I felt incredibly pathetic and powerless and ineffective and uh, I just walked away feeling like people weren't fed. And I don't know always what the, all the, the differences in those experiences, but I think some of it has to do with prayer and my own prayers, other people praying uh, for, the, for the church, for the work of the Lord here, for me. Uh, prayer does make a difference on, on whether we have words or not, whether we have boldness or not, whether we can make the message of Christ clear or not. We need to prayer. And it's not just for teaching. 
It's for everything that you and I do. Anything that we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ should be bathed in prayer. It should be preceded with prayer. It, prayer should be all around it. We talked about the example of Nehemiah when he went to make a request to the king. Uh, he stopped and prayed right in the middle of that conversation with the king. He prayed to the Lord and asked, him, asked the Lord for his help in that. We, we need to prayer. We need to pray uh, in order to operate at maximum efficiency. Really, to just do anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because Paul knew these things, he said, Brothers, pray for us. The main point of obedience in this verse is for us to pray. Paul was asking the believers in the church to pray. The, again, the main point of obedience is, would be then for us to accept that as an instruction, as a command to pray. Paul's not around anymore. T- uh, Timothy and Silas are gone too. But we are to pray as a church. We are to pray for each other. Uh, we're to pray for Spiritual leaders were to pray for all those who labor in the work of Christ, for those who preach and teach, lead worship, evangelize everything. We should pray for one another like that. Ephesians 6, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. Prayer is how we join with others in their ministry and help them do their ministry well. And that's really important. Yeah, we pray for ourselves, of course, should. We should be on our knees a lot for our own selves and our own work and our own responsibilities and the exercise of our own gifts and the things that God's called us to do. But we're also to join in praying for others. Join with them. Partner with other people through prayer. Help them do their work well as unto the Lord. And there's a, a kind of backdoor message here that may be a little bit of a sidetrack, but I think it's important. Paul asked for prayer for himself to preach the gospel. Uh, he did not, I can't think of any, any of the letters to any of the churches where he laid what I would call a guilt trip on the believers for not doing exactly what he was doing. Uh, he didn't say, what's the matter with you guys? Get out there, uh, go sell your homes, go to Spain or Rome or wherever. No, he said, pray for me as I do that, as I go out and preach the gospel. I have been entrusted with this as an apostle appointed by God to do this. Pray for me as I fulfill my duties as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a need for people to go to all the nations and for the gospel and with with the gospel of course we need more people doing that and to plant churches Uh, and we're supposed to pray to the lord of the harvest to raise up workers laborers for the harvest but paul clearly understood that there is a great variety in the gifts that people have and he's he's not pressuring them to do what he was called to do he's pleading with them to Pray for him so that he can do what the Lord appointed him to do. In the early 1800s, there's a a guy by the name of Gardner Spring wrote a little booklet called A Plea to Pray for Pastors. I'm going to read three quotes from it for you. I think they're 
really important. You can tell by the language and by what he says that it's, you know, they're written like 250 years ago, but you'll clearly get the message. He said, it is at a fearful expense that ministers are ever allowed to enter the pulpit without being preceded, accompanied, and followed by the earnest prayers of the churches. Here's another one. Let the thought sink deep into the heart of every Christian that their minister will be very much such a minister as their prayers have made him. And this last one. It is no small thing for any church to have daily cries for God's blessing ascending from a hundred firesides. Yeah, it's no small thing to have people in their homes daily praying for God's blessing for the church family and for the work of the Lord at, that, at their local church. I know there are many here who pray for this church. God bless you for that. I know that there are many here who pray for this church and its leaders, for the work going on here, and it's just so needed. It's so important. Um, we also need to learn to do that as a church family. I firmly believe we have to overcome our uh, discomfort and our self-consciousness and learn to pray together and to pray together as a church. Uh, you know, the church began in the upper room with about 120 people. It says the, the apostles together with all the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers, they were all there. And it says, all these in one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, the church started out praying together. How badly we need to do that. And I, I want to see that more and more in this church family. The next command, the second command that Paul gives us at the end of this letter is verse 26, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Now this is a verse that usually draws uh, giggles and pastors love to make jokes about this verse. And honestly, that's a shame if we leave it at that. I'm not saying there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with humor or laughter in the church, but this is a, this is a serious appeal for us to show affection to one another. Paul was completely serious. It's one of the last instructions he leaves with the church or left with the church at Thessalonica. Five times in the scripture we are commanded by the apostles to greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter, 1, 14, or 1 Peter 4, 14 puts it this way, greet one another with a kiss of love. The apostles wanted an affectionate church. Paul wanted believers to show that they love each other. As we saw at the very beginning of this letter, I don't know how many of you would, would remember this, but we talked at the very, uh, very beginning how Paul dearly loved the men and women in the church at Thessalonica. He loved them affectionately. He came to them, he said, with the gentleness of a nursing mother. He loved them and taught them and cared for them like a father caring for his own children. And so he appeals for them to continue that kind of affection 
in the church now that he's gone. He, he wants this kind of love and affection to remain in the church, in all the churches. Of course, uh, our expressions of love are to be holy, godly, nothing in, inappropriate. It's to be a, a holy kiss. But holy affections expressed to one another are absolutely essential to the well-being of the church. Obviously, a kiss was, on the, as I understand it, on, on the cheeks, on each side of the, of, the, of the face was common practice in, in the East, particularly in, in family relationships. And so greeting one another with a holy kiss was, was a way, way of showing that you're near and dear to me. I consider you family. Um, I love you. I love you as a brother. And notice, notice how often Paul uses the word brother here. I mean, he, he could as well said brothers and sisters, but in, the, in, in each of the first three commands to us, he uses the term brothers. That's, that's how we relate to one another as family, as, as brothers with one another, as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. There's to be that, that kind of closeness, that affection, uh, that personal, personal family-like love for each other. I'll never forget a, a message that Josh gave. I think it might have been at a Thanksgiving time, but he pointed out the difference between gratitude and giving thanks. I'd never thought of it before he brought it up in that message. Uh, and he said something like this. If you ask people, are you a thankful person or are you a person that has gratitude? Most people will say yes. But the question is, but do you give thanks? Do you say thank you out loud and often? Paul said to give thanks in all things, in all circumstances. Well, in the same way, most people would say, yes, I love other people. But do you express it? Do they have any tangible evidence that you love them? Uh, do they see it and feel it in your words and expressions and interactions with them? We're, we're not supposed to just say, uh, say like some sort of uh, spiritual quality hidden in our heart that, yes, I love people, but it never comes out. It's never seen. People don't feel that. No, that's why Paul says, brothers, greet one another with a holy kiss. We need to show our, show our love. One of my pet peeves, and this goes back to uh, uh, very early days in our marriage, and I don't know why, but you know how if you go to the store and pick out a card for your wife on, on your anniversary or birthday or something, uh, there's just tons of, of Hallmark cards that say, they start out something like this. Uh, I know I don't tell you I love you as often as I should, but, or... So here's a card that kind of supposed to make up for that. Well, I remember seeing, seeing all those cards like that. It's just, it's just hard, almost hard to pick out a card that doesn't say that. And I, I determined years ago I would never buy a card like that for my wife. Rather than buy that card, I would rather say, I love you more often so that I don't have to buy a card like that. Your wife shouldn't have to guess if you love her or not. Uh, 
And other believers in the church family shouldn't have to guess whether you love them or not, whether you have warm affections for them or not. And that's, I really believe that's why Paul was saying greet one another with a holy kiss. Can you just imagine all of us coming to church and, uh, you know, before church began, maybe after church was over, instead of just heading out the door, we just made it our business to go around and greet every other brother and sister here with a, with a holy kiss. Man, what, how special that would, would be. And I'm not saying we have to do that literally, but in some way, that should be our heart. That really should be our heart to express that kind of affection and love and care for one another. Tertullian wrote that, I think it was in the second century, really early on, but he, he wrote that unbelievers observed the early Christians and they said, this is what the un- unbelievers said, they said, see how they love one another. And we should greet one another in a way that outsiders would go away talking about how those people at Real Life Church love each other. The third command that Paul gives, verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Paul wanted this letter read to every single person in the church. I put you under oath before the Lord. I don't know if that impacts anybody else the way it impacts me. That's a pretty strong statement, wouldn't you say? This letter was of utmost importance because Paul regarded it, as he he described it earlier, something that he wrote in this letter, he regarded it as the command of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew he was giving them the word of God. Earlier, he also said, I think it's first chapter, you accepted our message for what it really is, the word of God. And he wanted them to give the same weight, the same, understand that his letter came with the same sense of authority, that it was, that it was the word of God. He wanted them to give the same weight to the letter that he, that they, that they did already give to the message that he had preached to them when they regarded it as the word of God. You know, reading scripture in church matters. Reading scripture to the church matters. <clears throat> I had a little conversation with Brian right before he read the scripture. I said, you know, Josh and I talked this week. We want to make sure that when we read the scripture, we want people to be in here. It's not a time, like once you hear the scripture being read, uh, it's not a time to like, you know, finish, uh, finish your, your conversation for the next two or three minutes. It's, it's time to come and listen carefully to the word of God being read. Uh, and I, I, I appreciate the, the, the way that Brian and others who read the scripture on Sunday morning give, give a sense of, of importance or weightiness. They read it carefully. They don't read it like it's just something to, to be blown off or disregarded. It's, it's, it's a really important part of our service. We are under oath the oath of our Lord Jesus. We are under oath before the Lord Jesus to read these letters. It wasn't long, it wasn't that long after Paul wrote these words that the idea arose that the Bible should be taken out of the hands of 
common people. Through many centuries, I mean many centuries, the reading of Scripture was forbidden, uh, except for those in the church hierarchy. Uh, and it's pretty obviously they didn't read it either. And I'm not, not trying to pick on Catholics or any particular denomination, but uh, I think this really helps make clear how far a- away from the Word of God the church got. Uh, Pope Innocent III said, they shall be seized for trial and penalties who engage in the translation of the sacred volumes into the language that people understand. They didn't want people to understand, to read or hear the word. Uh, Philip Schaff, describing uh, uh, this Pope, Pope Innocent's decree, said, he declared that as the beast touching the holy mount was to be stoned to death. So, even so, simple and uneducated men were not to touch the Bible or venture to preach its doctrines. It's amazing how many centuries that that prohibition reigned in the church. And again, I'm not trying to pick on Catholics. I read a current, a modern day Catholic who, who said that this prohibition uh, that's, that started pretty on in the church uh, was not lifted for Catholics until 1943. 1943 wasn't that long ago. And he said even though it was lifted in 1943, he said if you ask a Catholic today if they regularly read their Bible, most of them will say that they do not. Because of the lasting effects of these centuries and centuries of decrees against reading the scripture. How different from Paul's passion. I put you under oath before the Lord to have it read to all the brothers. Uh, There's a guy on Twitter who I think asks every week, at least I see it quite often, what book of the Bible did your pastor preach from today? And I don't think he really wants to know the answer to that question. He puts it out there because the question is meant to wake up Christians to how few pastors preach from a text of Scripture. And so he's just asking, what text of Scripture did your pastor preach from today? Was the teaching at your church based on a word from God, based on a passage, a letter, a book, a text of Scripture? And can you say what it was? Can, can you tell me what, what, what you heard this morning that was from the scripture from your pastor? We should be able to do that because we're under oath to have these letters read. It's, it's extremely important. Paul's final word to the Thessalonians is a blessing. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. We could do a whole morning on this, or actually we could probably do weeks and weeks and weeks of studies on this, on on grace. I mean, grace is the total blessing of everything that God has freely given us in Jesus Christ. And obviously the grace of Jesus is always with us, but Paul wanted these believers to experience and enjoy this grace. So, He blesses them. 
And this is one of the most common blessings all throughout scriptures. I, I mean, I don't know do any good to count how many times there are, but just read your Bible and you'll see countless times grace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ or grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Just, oh, just repeat it again and again and again and again. Paul wants believers to experience and enjoy and live in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not saying grace as a concept or an idea be with you. He is saying grace as a present reality be with you. Grace be known and felt and enjoyed in your heart. I think the words of Jesus in John 14, um, even though it's talking about peace instead of grace, I think they really help us understand this phrase the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. What did Jesus say there? He said, peace, my peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Peace is something Jesus is leaving with us. It is something Jesus is giving to us. His peace is a real thing. It's a spiritual presence from God that Jesus is giving to us and putting into our heart to give us a sense of rest and well-being, to put our hearts at rest. And I believe it's the same thing with grace. One of the old uh, uh, Cambridge commentary, Bible commentary that I read on this, I, I thought put it very well. Grace is the sum of all blessings that God bestows upon us through Christ. It is something we receive and experience. This blessing contains all spiritual good that one Christian can wish towards another. Such grace is with us. It forms the atmosphere we breathe, the light by which we see, the guiding and sustaining influence of our whole lives. Grace, This grace constantly attends us. And I love that word attends. You know what it means? The word attends means to stay with us as a companion or nurse or helper. I think that really helps to think, to understand what this means. Grace be with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as a companion or a nurse or a helper. Whatever your heart needs this morning, grace is the answer. Uh, Hebrews 13, 9, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, and not by foods which are of no value to those devoted to them. In other words, when you feel like you need something, you feel like you need something spiritually or perhaps emotionally, you feel you're weak, Uh, Don't look to some new wind of teaching that is making its way into the church or some special diet. Instead, let your heart be strengthened by the grace of God, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let God's goodness and grace in Jesus Christ encourage you and build you up and strengthen you. Be strengthened by all the rich richness of the blessings that you have in, in Jesus Pardon, acceptance, love, favor, 
adoption as, as the child of God. All of these things, let your heart be strengthened by the, these gracious truths of the gospel. So we should not only greet one another with a holy kiss, uh, we should bless one another with grace. And I really think we should do that. We should, we should learn to be able to say grace, at, at least grace to you. Could we, just, could we say that? Do you think we could be bold enough to, to say that? Uh, do you think we could learn to say even maybe grace and peace be with you? I think we could. And it would be a lot better than a lot of the other ways we greet, greet people. It's just such a beautiful greeting. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And you can pronounce that blessing on other believers with confidence uh, because God has already given it, given it to us in his son. So you can, you can boldly and confidently say to a dear brother or sister, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Well, in wrapping up this morning, uh, I want to go back to the first instruction that Paul gave here, which brothers... Uh, pray for us. All the things that we've talked about this morning are very important, and I leave it to the Holy Spirit to impress each of them deeply and fully upon your heart. But I want to go back to this one especially. Brothers, pray for us. And I want to ask you, would you pray with me for the work of the Lord here at Real Life Church? And I know many of you do. I'm not saying that as, as trying to use any kind of guilt manipulation. I'm just, I'm just saying, would you pray more faithfully, more often uh, for the work of the Lord here at Real Life Church? Would, would you pray for each other uh, more faithfully? Uh, would you pray for one another? As, as Paul did, he says, since the day we heard of it, we have not stopped praying to God for you. We've not stopped asking God that he would fill you up with his wisdom and knowledge so that you'd be able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We need to be praying that for each other. We need to be supporting each other like that in prayer. Would you pray uh, for the elders here, your pastors, your spiritual leaders, uh, not in some way to, to wrongly elevate us at, at, at all but just because we need it we need it to be uh, to, to do our work effectively um, I desperately want to be a good elder a good shepherd a good pastor a good teacher need, I need prayer we need prayer for that to happen in order, in order to have effective times of worship in order to have effective Sunday mornings in order to have effective times in the word we need to be a church that's praying for that to happen. We need to, to go to God, be devoted to prayer for those kind of things to happen. I need it. We need it. You need it. Your brothers and sisters need it uh, to grow up, to become the people that we need to be uh, in the Lord. We, we need it. We, I, I think there's a cry in our heart to be used by God. We need prayer to be used effectively by the Lord in other people's lives. So, brothers, uh, pray for us. Pray for this church family. Uh.
Let's pray.